Welcome to the weekend. This is the weekend break on 1521 2QN. Hello friends, happy days are here again. This is the Weekend Break podcast for 1521 2QN. Double dose of the podcast this week covering August 20 and August 27. My name is AJ, thank you very much for listening to us whenever and wherever you are. We'll get straight into the program with an interview from the 27th of August, which is with the new Australian men's netball captain, Dylan Nexup. This is the Weekend Break on 1521 2QN. I dare say interviewing a national captain might be a first for us here at 2QN, and we're incredibly excited to do it today. Joining us on the line, the newly announced captain of the Australian men's netball team, Dylan Nexup. First and foremost, Dylan, congratulations. What an incredible honour, mate. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, it's been a bit of a, a whirlwind few days, um, but super, super proud. And yeah, it's just been all, all the different feels, all the different positive feels, um, you know, honour, Surprise, um, you know, just pure excitement and joy and, and everything. But a uh, big few days. We saw a little bit on the social media page from Netball Australia and Men's and yep. Mixed Netball about how you found out. Can you tell us that story? <laughs> yeah, so um, there's a bit of a process to, to kind of go through. We had our training camp um, a couple of weeks ago, um, which was, you know, fantastic. Our first opportunity to get together as a team. And then from that, the coach told us about the leadership process and, and from there, there was a system that we went through, a process that we went through, um, focusing on different categories of leadership and and things like that. And everyone, all players had a say, um, which was great. And you could, you know, put your preferences in for, for who you think um, was best suited to different to different areas. And then they shortlisted from that. Um, and then I got a message from them to say, oh, they'd like to do a Zoom meeting to ask me a few more questions on Sunday afternoon. So I jumped on Zoom at about three o'clock and had a little bit of a meeting. And the team manager started with just this random line of questioning, asking me where I was born, um, who the Prime Minister of New Zealand is, um, what the capital of New Zealand is, which nearly stumped me. I knew it was not Auckland. And then they asked me a couple of questions about leadership. And then from there, they kind of, um, you know, filled that, oh, you know, uh, we'd just also like to announce you um, the captain of the Australian team, which was very, very exciting. When you, you get into netball, and men's netball is still growing, and our men's team are still becoming a bigger side that more people are paying attention to, but when you started to train, and they were talking about the story of playing against your mum and learning that way about the game, did you ever think that this was a possibility to be in this kind of a position where you're not only representing your nation, but you're captain of your country? Oh, definitely not. I think, you know, like you said, the men's netball space is um, still growing. And yeah, like never in my wildest dreams, I never kind of growing, you know, when I was growing up, I never really knew it was a thing to be able to, to play netball for Australia as a male or represent your country or even, you know, captain your country. And that it was only till I got probably in my, you know, once I got to uni and started being involved in uni games and had little things like that, that I, like I understood there was a, a men's netball pathway and, um, you know, the sport was there and there was a platform that was developing. Um, but, you know, even even if you asked me 12 months ago if I'd be captaining the Australian men's netball team, the answer would be a hard no. There was no chance um, that I would even be in a position to be able to, to put my name forward for that. So it's been a, um, yeah, super, like I said, a, a complete whirlwind, um, but one that I've absolutely enjoyed. And where I'm sitting right now, I'm very, very happy and um, couldn't imagine, yeah, anything um, better. Reading through the announcement from Netball Australia in the last couple of days, the, uh, earlier this month, I should say, the Diamonds obviously going on 
their world tour. They'll go to England. They'll go to New Zealand. And they were saying this is the first time ever that a men's team is going to make that trip as well. And a global first that you'll be a part of is that. Yeah, which is a huge step forward. And I know, you know, there's been so much work behind the scenes um, from, you know, men's, uh, from Australian men's and mixed netball and, and netball Australia working together to get this up and running. It's a huge, huge step forward um, to, you know, promote the, the sport of netball um, and show that it is a, a pathway for both male and female. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, um, sports shouldn't be defined by what gender you are. It should be accessible, inclusive for all. And I think we're really trying to promote that. Um you know, and we we often train with lots of the, the you know the, some of the Western Australian boys trained with the Diamonds girls before they went to play Com Games. Um, I know that I trained with some of the, the New South Wales based girls before they went to Com Games. So all the, all of those you know the Diamonds players are, are super receptive to it and they love it. They love the extra challenge. They love the push, um, and so do we. So to be able to go on tour with them, you know, the inaugural. Um, combined tour is super special and something that we are all really looking forward to. Um, so there's different parts to it. We'll go to the AIS and um, do a training, um, a mini training camp with them before we fly out to New Zealand. Um, and then we play the curtain raiser for them in Auckland on October 12th. So we'll play the New Zealand men and they play the Silver Ferns. Um, and then we play the curtain raiser for them in Melbourne um, at John Kane Arena on October 19th. And they will um, play after us, and then we play the curtain raiser again at um, Kudos Bank against when they play England um, on October 30th. So, you know, and the fact that all games are going to be streamed on KO and and everything like that, there's going to be some great exposure, and I think it's the exposure that that netball needs. Um, so it's something that we're all really excited about. Netball's obviously such a high participation sport, particularly through our region, and you know that through your background in coaching as well around here. To see the game continue to grow and having another success for the girls at the Commonwealth Games with the Diamonds playing as well as they did there, to then see more pathways open up for men and mixed netball become bigger and men's netball become bigger, does that bring you a sense of pride to say, you know, I'm a part of something that is really big for this sport and continuing to grow the sport that I love? Oh, absolutely. I think, you know, we on our training camp, we really talked about our values and one of the values or one of the ideas or concepts we come up with is about, you know, being custodians and we're really lucky and grateful to be in this space at the moment, but we also want to make sure that, you know, we understand that we are in this space and and right now what, you know, this is the moment that we're in and we need to make sure that we take this moment with both hands and and promote this sport and, and push forward as best we can. Um, you know, we want to make sure as a team we're, we're doing everything we can to put out the best display of netball out there, but we're also thinking about that bigger picture as well about netball in general and, and what we can do to, to continue to grow and, and, and push the sport. You know, I think over the last few years we've seen so many, so many sports, you know, um, become dual sports, things like, you know, with AFLW and, and Rugby W, even, you know, having um, the female cricket at the um, Com Games and things like that, there is so much progression in, in dual sports. And I think, you know, being in this space right now, we want to get netball um, onto the same platform and, and show everybody that it is a, it's a fast, hard, competitive sport. Um, it's inclusive for all. There's access for, for all skill levels and, and all types of people. Um, you know, and that's the message we want to really get out there. We'll have to ask you a couple of local questions. Obviously, the family's yeah. so connected with Tony. The the girls are into the A-grade netball. Your brother's into senior footy finals at the moment. How exciting is that for you to see while you're having these this incredible moment in your own sporting career, but also the whole family? 
family is having moments at the same time where they're achieving what they can in their sports as well. Yeah, no, it is. It's amazing to sit back and reflect. And we're a pretty, well, not pretty. We're a very, very close knit um, family. And you know, no matter what we do, we're always um, supporting each other and supporting our pursuits. And you know, I think being kids and growing up, we were outside till all hours of the night playing any sport um, possible. Um, you know, we, me and Corey used to play tennis that much in the, in the house that mum and dad ended up putting a tennis court out for us. And, you know, any opportunity we had to compete or to, um, you know, just have fun against, with each other, we, we would take. And any sport we, there was, and I think it's kind of a country thing, any sport that pops up, you give it a go. And, you know, we were just lucky that, um, you know, we've got, got some good genetics on our side and we've managed to, um, you know, the sports that we've, we've tried, we've been, pretty good at and it's enabled us to really you know take it to the the standard and, and level that we're you know that we're, we've been able to do so to have each other to support each other and push each other it's you know it's great because we all understand what it takes to, to um, you know get to the levels that we've played at and the hard work that goes in off the court um, you know so being able to kind of you know um, support each other with that it's been super helpful and uh, I think we're we've truly blessed uh, as a family to yeah, I'm just, I could never imagine um, my life being any different than um, with, with the family that I have. It's very exciting to get to finish an interview off, but Dylan Exit, the captain of Australia's men's netball team, <laughs> we, we thank you so much for your time. No, thank you so much. I appreciate the call and um, yeah, looking forward to seeing what evolves. This is the weekend break on 1521 2QN. Joining us from the Daniloquin Golf Club this week, Vincent Kelly. Vince, how are we doing today? Great, AJ. Yourself? Not too bad at all. We have a number of results to talk about, but I'm going to skip straight to the men's foursomes <laughs> from Sunday. <laughs> and you might want to tell us why I've made you talk about it too. Uh, yeah, no, I've talked about uh, men's the foursomes being very difficult competition, and uh, I was very lucky to have a very good partner on Sunday. Would you like to talk up just how difficult it is to make the people know how well you guys uh, had to play? Well, you know, alternate shot format, there's a lot of pressure not to let your partner down. I don't know what it is but um my partner didn't let me down i might have let him down jeff king he uh putted absolutely superbly on sunday and he and myself managed to take out the scratch event with uh, 76 so it was really great uh jeff's uh family's having a bit of a rough time at the minute his wife pauline's being treated for cancer in melbourne so um being able to take him out distract him for a day and uh we had a great day with four other people in the club and uh, it, was, it was just a great day all around. It's fantastic when you get to use golf like that, isn't it? Use sport in general like that to be a distraction. And we maybe we take sport a little bit too seriously sometimes. But in times like this, it's like, no, this has a special meaning to us. Yeah, I think it helped on the day. It really kept things in perspective for us. And bad, go- bad shot on the day was really nothing because uh, you knew what Jeff was and his family are dealing with is, is far, far worse. So... You know, the four, as I said, the four guys that we played with, um, we had a really great day, and I think uh, Jeff appreciated everyone's support and, and has a, enjoyed the community support over the last, what is now, nearly two years. So, um, you know, we're looking forward to... They have got some good news, but um, they're still a long way from that journey being finished. Tell us about some of the other results that we've had across the week. I'll finish off the Sunday foursomes. The net winners there were Hugh and Keanu Sutton with 71, and runner-up was Troy Grant and John Radeski with 72. On Saturday, we played a medley single Stapleford, and the winner in A grade was Billy Burke with 38 points, runner-up John Radeski. B grade winner was Keanu Sutton with 40, and runner-up Jen Choice, 39 points. 
C-grade winner was Russell Begg with 40 points and runner-up was Ben Littman with 35. You needed 32 points to get a ball. And nearest the pins went to Sam Robertson, who was a visitor on the second. And Anita Gorsuch, we had Peter Oddie taking out the golden hole on the fifth with Jane Hood taking out B-grade. On the ninth, we had Prue Lloyd and Scott Mildren. Quick story about Scott Mildren too before we go on, AJ. Golf, great leveller. First hole Scott played was the 10th hole. Had an airy first shot of the day. Last shot of the day, or almost last shot of the day, wins the nearest pin on the ninth. Jeez, it's not bad, is it? <laughs> it's a good one. So, uh, it's ama- As you said, it's amazing how quickly golf levels you out. Absolutely. Uh, finish off nearest pins, we had 11, on the 11th, Chris Thompson and Annette Dankett, and on the 13th, Keanu Sutton. On Wednesday, Staplefoot, we had uh, Josh Hunt winning A-grade with 39 points. Ken Weymus, 38, was runner-up. B-grade winner was Dan Wade on 37 on a count back from Russell Begg. Needed 33 points to get a ball, and Peter Locke took the golden hole on the fifth, and Dale Barling and Ron Friend near the pin on the ninth. And finishing off with the results, uh, Thursday, ladies, two-person Ambrose. Winners there, Felicity McCallman and Karen Leatham with 65 net from Vicky Brunker and Prue Lloyd, 66 and three quarters. You needed 70 and a quarter to get a ball. And nearest the pins went to Anita Gorsuch on the 5th and on the ninth, Vicky Brunker and Anita Gorsuch again. She had a great round there on uh, Thursday, evidently, Anita. Premier League results this week, uh, AJ. Bushwhackers had a draw with big balls, scoring 121 points each. Eagles and Birdies had their first win of the year, defeating Old Boys 126 to 124. The Dreamers are the only undefeated team, having taken out the Wedgies 132 to 124. And the Party Poppers also had their first win in a very close match against the Eclectics, winning by 1.119 to 118. Round three of the Premier League will be played next Saturday, the 3rd of September. There's a number of events coming up at the club, but I want to go straight into one that you and I were talking off air about some of the things that are coming up at the club, and this is something you were already really passionate to talk to me about. It's a free golf day around people's mental health. It is the uh, Murrumbidgee Local Health Advisory Group has secured some funding for mental health awareness, and the event will kick off a a month-long awareness program for mental health in the local area. So all golfers are welcome while they'll be playing an Ambrose event on the day. I'd assume the tee-off is 12 o'clock and there is a timesheet available in the golf shop at the moment. But really it's about coming along and seeing what support services are out there. And as we've already spoken about, providing, you know, it's a great opportunity to, to, to start talking. And golf can sometimes be that big men's shed where people can come come together and talk about their experiences and what they're going through. And also, when you speak about mental health, and I'll, I'll drawn some personal experience here it's sometimes hard to get outside and do things but when you are and you're you're walking around you're in the fresh air and you're around people that you can talk to it does have a massive impact on your mental state and how you're feeling i think that is one of the great things you get out of sport people ask other people to come along and it's about you know this is a great opportunity to bring along three of your friends or a friend and, and, and think about the people that maybe aren't getting out or maybe are doing a bit tough in the community. And this is just a step down the path, an opportunity, free golf, no cost, uh, to get people together. And um, you don't have to talk about your problems if you don't want to, but know that there are other people there that can, can help you. And again, I'll speak from some experience. The fresh air of the fairways does actually make a huge difference when you're not in the best place mentally. Tell us about, yes, some, of the other, absolutely. Tell us about some of the other events that are coming up at the club. Yeah, this week we've got the monthly medals on Thursday and Saturday for the men's and ladies, or ladies and men's, Thursday ladies and Saturday men's. Uh, 
big events coming up. We've got the ladies double date in Denny on Monday the 5th and Tuesday the 6th of September. So entries are closing soon. <laughs> Go really well there. <laughs> uh, anyway, get your entries in. Be great. Um, Spring Classic also coming up in September on the 17th and 18th. And just an early shout out to people, if they're planning their AFL Grand Final weekend, keep Sunday the 25th of September open. We've got a tee up for Cancer Charity Golf Day, run by yours truly, uh, which will raise money for Tour de Cure Australia. Vince, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, AJ. This is the Weekend Break on 1521 2QN. Well, as a proud South Australian, the Jarman brothers in a Crow's Guernsey have had a big impact in my life. And so has my next guest, the founding member of one of our best rock bands ever. Eight albums out of their 13 in the top 10, 17 top 40 singles. That's the kind of pedigree I'm talking about. And... It's a pleasure to be welcoming them to the Denny Ute Muster this year. Finally, they're back. Please make welcome John Brewster of the Angels. Hi, John. Hey, Dano. How are you? Oh, mate, I'm absolutely terrific and ticking off one of my bucket list items to have a chat. So thank you so much for your time. Just before we get into the Ute Muster and what you've been doing, I just want to get the elephant out of the room. Are you related to Tom Brewster, the Scottish curling champion of 1995? <laughs> No, but I have a son called Tom Brewster. I've got three sons that all play, but uh, they're not uh, the the only one that's actually in the in the band. Is my son Sam, my oldest son, who's playing the bass with us. Right. He came into the band when uh, Chris Bailey became ill with cancer, and sadly yes. Chris didn't make it. Sam's stepped up to the plate, and he's fantastic. Now you were <laughs> last here in Daniloquin. I reckon it was. 2009, I seem to recall yeah. you being on top of a shipping container in the Bundy Bar or something like that. Lots been happening in the intervening 13 years. A lot has happened. Dave Gleeson <laughs> came into the band in 2011. So that was sort of a, an interesting thing. Dave came in and was almost instantly accepted by our fans. And sadly, Doc got a, a, a brain cancer and... Uh, and didn't make it, so he died in 2014. Yeah. Chris Bailey, we lost Chris Bailey to cancer. This is not an unusual story these days. You know, people, this, this happens. And so we've been we've been having, I mean, the last 11 years with Dave Gleeson singing for us has just been incredible. Well, we love it. You know, the band's playing great. We play with just as much passion as we ever did. And we've got a repertoire that people love. It's pretty easy for us, really. You know, we, we just have great crowds and, and, and love what we do. Well, you've been going for 40 years, so you're doing something right, uh, all the way back to my Ponga uh, in my home state in an early festival. <laughs> you've, you've done a lot, a thousand festivals over the last 40-odd years. We've wanted to have you back in Danny for the last two. What can you remember about the iconic event here in town and what are you looking forward to this time around? Well, more of the same, really. I mean, it's just it's an incredible venue. Um, Australian crowds are just... So loyal to Australian bands. You know, I know what will happen. We'll walk out on stage and we'll crank it up and they'll give it back to us, you know. <laughs> so, I mean, that's what they do. I and, mean, you know, you get all that adrenaline, of course, and you bounce around the stage like you're 20 years younger and then you wake up the next morning and you're back to uh, your real age. <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't bounce back as, as quickly as we used to, that's for sure. No, no but it's really... Uh, it, it, look, it is fantastic. Uh, um, I'm really proud of the band. I mean, everyone, everyone in it and working with my brother as I've been doing for 48 years now. I mean, he's a phenomenal lead guitar player. And, you know, and I'm proud to say that we've got a repertoire that still sounds very fresh. I don't think we... Uh, I think our music's kind of timeless. Like, I look upon rock and roll 
bands like ACDC and ZZ Top and bands like that. You can put on any of those records and it sounds like they made them yesterday. Yeah. And, John, people will still know the lyrics and be able to sing along in 20 or 30 or 40 years' time. That's out currently, and I'm sounding like my, my dad now. It's, uh, you know, it's <laughs> fairly fairly disposable. It's incredibly disposable. I, you know, unfortunately, I've fallen into that category that I didn't, never wanted to, but to say, you get older and you say, well, it was better in my day, <laughs> but you know what? It was. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, well, the Beatles keep outselling half of the artists today, so I'm... You know, they they haven't been together for a while. Exactly. Great lineup at this year's Ute Muster John Williamson, Busby Maru, my man crush Brad Paisley. Uh, But how nervous are you to be on the same bill as the legendary kids performer Bluey? (laughs) Yeah, I'm totally nervous. (laughs) (laughs) Any chance we might see some hot dogs band material surface in your set list? Uh, No chance of that, but uh, that was a fun period of our life. uh, yeah, that we all had little kids, and so we started doing things for wrote some songs for for kids. But I've got happy memories of it. I never wanted to do it again, but <laughs> it was fun at the time. <laughs> I'm speaking to John Brewster of the Angels. John, you've been so generous with your time. I'm just going to throw a quick fast five at you. Question one: Have you been approached to be on the Masked Singer at all? On the what? Oh, you haven't heard of The Masked Singer? It's a global TV sensation where professional musos dress up and some non-professionals dress up in elaborate Hollywood costumes and viewers have to guess who the, who's under the mask, basically. I think oh, really? Into about season four here in Australia, but it's season seven or eight in the States. Uh, I can safely say I can tick you off the list. You haven't been approached. That's... No, no, we, we've had a lot of approaches for series and stuff. Um, take a long line, gets a big, big demand, so to, am I going to see a face again? Every now and again, you get one of the, one of the sort of left of centre songs like Skid Row After Dark. That's, that's, <laughs> that's on some TV show. It's great, you know. Um, but no, we haven't been approached for the mask singer. Right, eh? <laughs> Question two, hopefully a bit easier. What's the most luxurious thing in your fridge as we speak? Oh, um, well, I'd say probably um, a bottle of French champagne that's sitting in the top shelf waiting for for me to pop the cork because our movie, which is going to be called um, Kicking Down the Doors, has been selected by the Adelaide Film Festival as the, the main movie for the festival. It's, it'll be on opening night. So Magnificent. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I hope, yeah, uh, I hope I can get the time to get over and see that. Question three. Have you? Hmm. Uh, what are you listening to at the moment? Do you have a favourite band or singer? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, my favourite is Bob Dylan. I, I I still go back to you know early Dylan, and and of course actually the last album he made has just got some amazing stuff on it. I also love listening to the Beatles. Yeah, um, I've almost rediscovered them. You know, uh, I saw them play in 1964 in Adelaide at the Centennial Hall. Oh. Didn't hear a damn word. But anyway, <laughs> question four: Is there anything you're watching on TV at the moment that's exciting? Uh, well, we we love Better Call Saul. There's a new episode. You have to wait a week for the next one. <laughs> you know, can't wait. And it's just so great. And of course, it, it leads up to Breaking Bad, which I think is one of the greatest uh, things that, that I've ever seen. I think you know, it's an amazing series. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. And right. lastly, can I just ask, you've performed alongside some of the greats, and I was doing some research, and seriously, some of the greats. Actually, let me rephrase that. They've performed alongside you, but if you had the choice of uh, an ultimate duet throughout anyone throughout history, who who would it be with? 
Oh, well, that's a good question. I don't know. We've, you know I mean, we've played with some greats, obviously. Uh, uh, David Bowie was very special. We did the whole tour with him in 1978. Yeah. So I, I, I would say, you know, of course, unfortunately, David Bowie's gone. Actually, all the people that, that I'd want to do a duet with have uh, <laughs> all passed away. Bon Scott, of course, who, who way back in the, the late 70s, He's the only guy that ever got up and, uh, and sang with the angels. Is that right? I'll never forget it. It was just incredible. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Barnes has got up with us too, but that's just more recent times. But yep. back in those days, we were kind of pretty insular, so we didn't have people get up and, and jam with us. But um, yeah. they're, all, they're all knocking down the door to do it with you, John. And uh, with technology these <laughs> days, even if, even if they have passed, it's not necessarily insurmountable. Thank you so much, John Brewster of the Angels. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting this morning. We really look forward to seeing you in town for the Denny Ute muster. And uh, if you get a moment, we'd love to have you in the studio. I'll try and make sure there's some fake French champagne in the fridge. <laughs> yeah, OK. There's a lot to celebrate this year, to be honest, Damo. Mate, uh, all the best. Yeah, and we'll, we'll see you in a couple of months. Lovely. Look forward. Thanks. This is the Weekend Break on 1521 2QN. Earlier this week, Australia commemorated Vietnam Veterans Day in honour of those who served our country during the Vietnam War. I spoke to the Myanmar RSL's president and a former Vietnam veteran, Ken Jones, about what the day meant to him. Kenny, it's obviously, it's such a huge day for our whole country, but especially for you and the other vets of Vietnam. Tell us about what Thursday means to you. You're absolutely right. Um, You know, the, the... What we had to go through there and what we had to go through when we got home, um, yeah, there's two issues there, isn't there? Absolutely, there are. Um, you mentioned the, what you guys had to go through when you guys got home, and that's it's such a dark moment in Australian history, the treatment of Vietnam veterans. From your perspective, and I apologise if I'm prying or anything with this question, but how do you feel now? Do you feel like the country has embraced its veterans now in the way it should or is that still really an open wound to people who did serve in Vietnam? Look, to some it is, mate. Um, I've, uh, I've got over that drama. Um, the people today are so good to us. Um, you know, it was a political thing back then and I don't think the people quite understood what the ramifications of what their actions were to us, uh, and, and it's been brought out with the, our suicide problems. And but some of our people have um, have come uh, accepted uh, that the public now appreciate what we did, um, but there are some that don't, and you know there's a bit of a split thing there. Tell us about how. Thursday will be commemorated across our region through Moama area where obviously you're with the RSL and getting vets together on Thursday. What's that going to look like? Well, what we're doing is we'll, we'll have a, a ceremony um, at 11am at the Moama RSL Club. Uh, we're going to put big emphasis on the um, the uh, the team that went in uh, first the Army training team. They went in in 1962. Um, they're the most decorated unit in the Vietnam era. Um, I think there's four Victoria Crosses, 20 Distinguished Conduct Medals. There's 49 mentioned in dispatches, two Distinguished Service Medals, 
six military medals, three order of the British Empire medals, four member British Empires, and uh, and four Queen's Conduct medals. And um, that is our most decorated ever Army unit. We're going to put a bit of a big emphasis on that this year. When you have events like this and you see members of the public come in and commemorate the the day with you, how important is it to vets to see members of the general public come out and take part in these events? Oh, look, for their, for their mental health, it's absolutely magnificent. I, you know, we'll go in afterwards and we'll have a... We'll have a couple of drinks and we'll have a bit of food and we'll have a chat. and um, It's, it's a, a big reunion for us. But the comments that will come back is, um, how good are the public? And we get this, over the last few years, we've been getting um, this and the same with our badge selling. Uh, nothing but support. And, you know, it, it does help these some of these fellas. Um, like I said to you before, some can handle it and some can't. And um, we've got to watch the ones that can't. Ken Jones speaking with us earlier this week on Vietnam Veterans Day for the weekend break. This is the weekend break on 1521 2QN. Joining us on the line is the member for Murray Plains, leader of the Victorian Nationals, Peter Walsh. Peter, how are you doing today? Very well, thanks, Andrew. The opposition have announced um, some changes that they want to see introduced regarding the current plans in place for the Cheltenham and Box Hill rail line in Melbourne, shelving that project essentially other than what's currently contractually signed into place and using that money to better boost the health system and $8 billion of that being earmarked for regional health care. That's correct. So the Cheltenham to Box Hill railway line will cost approximately $35 billion and will not be delivered for another 15 years. Our very firm view is that that money should be reprioritised and put into the health system so that people, when they ring triple O, the call will actually be answered. When they need an ambulance, there will be an ambulance that will be there. When they need a hospital bed or they need surgery, that will be available to them. Victorians want the health system fixed. They don't need a railway line from Cheltenham to Box Hill in 15 years' time, and that's our commitment that we will do that. There's a very clear choice in November. People can have a railway line that will be delivered in 15 years, or they can have an ambulance, a hospital bed, and surgery. Have the Libs and the Nats had any discussions around what kind of projects that $8 billion will go into in terms of which areas, which hospitals, or is it kind of an overarching goal at the moment to just improve regional healthcare? Well, we've already announced that uh, a new hospital for Mildura, a new hospital for Albury-Wodonga, a new hospital for Warrigal, a new hospital in St Island. Uh, and there'll be a number of more announcements over the course of the uh, leading up to the election in November. So one of the things that Matthew Guy and I agreed on was that 25% of the infrastructure spend in future will be in regional Victoria, where under the Andrews government it was only about 11%, and this is our commitment to make sure we actually fix the health system in regional Victoria. There's ongoing concerns, obviously, around particularly ambulance situation in this country and also um, lack of healthcare staff. How does the investment in regional Victoria, if the, um, if the Liberal Nats were to be elected and this policy was enacted, how does that benefit our staffing in regional Victoria? Uh, so we will have further announcements on health and one of those will be a, a workforce strategy uh, that will look at how we actually increase the number of health professionals GPs, nurses, allied health, 
uh, we need more of those staff in regional Victoria to take the pressure off the current staffing because everyone is working to the max uh, to make sure they deliver care in all our health services, but they need more staff there to do that, and that will be part of our workforce announcement that's still to come. Peter, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, AJ. Well, that's it for today's King Size episode of the Weekend Break podcast. Thank you for listening and thank you for joining us whenever and wherever you are. We will be back on the air next week at 7am on Saturday morning on 1521 2QN. Catch you soon.